Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we're fortunate enough to have John Espy, co-founder and CEO of Level. Level has started getting some much-deserved press locally for the fast track they've burned over the course of the last four to five years. Recently, John and I got a chance to get together and discuss what's most important for the Charlotte ecosystem. Is it more entrepreneurs or is it more early stage money? A heated debate ensued, and I think we all know who won the argument. (laughs) Regardless, we had a really good lunch and a great discussion, and I fell in love with the level story. As such, we agreed it, it made great sense to continue the conversation on this podcast. So in today's podcast... I wanted to backfill most of the, or I wanted to fill up most of the time with the conversation about level. Um, Because despite the fact that it's starting to get some coverage in the press, I still don't think that many people know about the story behind it. So we talk about the, um, the predecessor level, how it came about to being what it is today. When did they make their pivot? Um, in a, in a nice round conversation. So some of the questions that we kind of circled through today were, you know, what's the backstory to where level or to how level got to where it is? Um, how did John and Chris uh, Hart, his original co-founder first meet? How does the conversation to pivot out of your original concept and into a consulting gig go? Um, is it an easy conversation? How do you feel on the day you shut down the previous business? Uh, we talk a lot about um, how Level has gone from two people, which was John and Chris in late 2013, to 170 employees here early in 2018. That's really rapid growth over the course of about four and a half years, uh, probably more like four years when you take into account their first actual hire. We talk a lot about the vital role that first customers play in a young company's growth and what were those customers like for level. Any of y'all that know John, Joe, know he's a, he's a more mature entrepreneur rather than a fresh um, recent college graduate. So what are some of the benefits of that? And on and on. It's a really, I think it's a round conversation around a round level. And I think you'll really grab a hold of it. And if you don't know John after this, you're going to want to meet him. Just a really, really s- solid, grounded person. So certainly I hope you enjoy today's podcast with John Espy. So John, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, as we alluded to in the intro, you know, you're, um, we're here with Level. Mm-hmm. Y'all been around in Charlotte for a number of years now. The name's starting to become a little bit more talked about in a lot of different circles, not just the you know startup and angel um, network, but you're starting to see the, the name picked up in local press as well. Feels like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're sitting there saying about dang time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, um, but with that being said, I still don't know if a lot of people know um, uh, 
the backstory of, of what you actually do. So can you take a few minutes and just you know tell us who Level is so everybody knows what we're talking about? Sure, absolutely. And, and really the story of Level starts with, in, with my career at a, at a company called Amentra that I joined. I was the ninth employee of Amentra. Okay. They were an IT consulting shop based out of Northern Virginia in Richmond. And uh, when I joined them, um, we, we were doing custom application development, which is actually very similar to some of the things that we're doing at Level. Uh, long story short, though, that company grew over about an eight-year period. Um, ultimately, I had moved down to Charlotte to open an office. I ended up becoming the chief operating officer of, of Amentra. In 2008, um, around the time of the financial crisis, we decided to sell to Red Hat, who was our biggest partner. And then yeah. I spent two years with Red Hat. So um, a lot of level comes from a lot of our team members came from that team that I built while I was at Amentra. A lot of our kind of founding principles and core values come from the Amentra experience. And a lot of our partners and customers came from, from that whole era as well. Now, if you fast forward, though, the real beginnings of Level started around 2012 when I met Chris Hart, who is our CTO and co-founder. Uh, we worked together on building a credit card marketing platform that had a mobile app and a couple of browser-based plugins. Uh, we built it. We called it Reward Summit. We got it featured on the App Store as the number one new and exciting finance app. Oh, well, I didn't know that. But, but ultimately, we couldn't get financial, it, it really generate any revenue with it. We, we maybe made $500 the whole, the whole time that we were running this platform. Congratulations. Thank you. It was, it was, it was a, you know, we were supersizing our meals for a week or two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but the reality was we learned a lot of lessons. We, we, what we saw was that the, the technology had changed so dramatically in, in the five years leading up to 2012. So we saw big data. We saw cloud-based technologies, platform as a service, containers, mobile application development, user experience, design thinking. These were all things that we were scratching our heads saying, why aren't the big companies doing this? And, and really, we started researching it. And the reason big companies uh, weren't embracing it at the time is it was very risky. And a lot of the solutions in that space weren't geared towards the compliance and the governance and the regulatory and scalability requirements. We felt like with our backgrounds, we could really change that and start to introduce these more modern development techniques and technologies into larger institutions. And so we pivoted from being a credit card marketing platform to a company that helps big companies adopt more innovative approaches to building things. As a corollary to that, it works in the other direction as well. So we can help a startup who maybe has an idea that's game changing we can help them with how do you scale this, how do you address HIPAA compliance or PCI compliance or any of these more big company type of things. Absolutely. Circle back around for a couple minutes. Sure. Um, how did Chris and you originally meet? So originally we met in 2009. I was brought into a sales meeting. Chris was a technology executive at Bank of America. Okay. And we met um, selling him some Red Hat software. I was part of the Red Hat team at okay. that point. Uh, we, you know, we noticed each other and said hi, and but never saw it. Didn't see each other again for three years. I started circulating an idea within a few folks. I probably had a meetup, you know, yeah. at, at Packard Place or somewhere yeah. in the startup community. And somebody said, "Wow, if you're doing a startup in in the payment space, you need to talk to this guy, Chris Hart. He's a phenomenal banker, technology executive, but has this entrepreneurial itch that he's trying to scratch." Wow. And so, so I met him. Two months later, we're working at two in the morning on Skype on developing the, the software. 
And I said, by the way, did, did I ever meet you through so-and-so at Red Hat? And he remembered it, and we, we connected the dots at that point. So how long did it take you So start? I mean, again, Reward Summit is the... Um, Credit card marketing platform. Um, the predecessor or the catalyst behind what has become Level. That's correct. So we started that around uh, April of 2012. Yeah. Uh, we got featured in the App Store July of 2013. So 15 months. Give About 15 months to build the product. Okay. And But at that point, we saw it wasn't making revenue. And we actually went and talked to a few companies on the West Coast about maybe partnering with them and changing what we were using it to do yeah. or even potentially selling it and around that time we started talking about the consulting and hey why don't we pay some bills in the meantime and that was when we started we didn't call it level we i think we had a contract lined up the day we decided to do it but we needed to give them a corporate name yeah. in order to get the contract and so we looked around and everything was called Lada in charlotte so yeah. we called it Lada partners really awful name really local name but we needed a name so <laughs> Fair enough. So that was middle to end of 2013? That was September of 2013. Okay. So here we are in February of 2018. So five-year success story. Um, talk a little bit about that pivot. Mm -hmm. um, how? So here you, Chris, are. You've got this fantastic idea of Reward Summit. Mm -hmm. It got featured in the App Store. You're on this emotional high that we were on the App Store. It's got to be great. Yep. Um, but you eventually say, maybe not so great. So how does that conversation between two co-founders, who starts it and how does it end? Well, it really started with, we, we, we hustled. I mean, we really got after it. We, we lined up a retail partner that was an avenue for revenue and worked you know, 80 hours a week to build the product that they wanted to see and working with their teams and they had a bad break and it didn't go our way. We, we worked with a large bank who said, hey, you can sell our credit cards on the platform. It took us six months to convince them. And then they ultimately, the, the, the uh, affiliate network that they put us on said, oh, no, we, you know, this is a mobile app. We don't do mobile. <laughs> and so, so we, it was a continual process of trying to figure out ways to make money and we started that process before we got featured on the app store, before we really built. By the time we built the final version of the app, it was fantastic. It got picked up by all sorts of blogs. And if we had gotten it to that point earlier in the process, there's a chance that we would have had a little bit more luck finding a revenue model. Yeah. Um, and, and also the macros weren't great for us either. The, the fundamental business model was sell credit cards through the platform, through these affiliate networks. The, the credit card business really started picking up, ironically, in 2013 and 2014. And, and so, we, you know, timing was probably bad. And we were seeing all of these things happening at once. And we said, you know, we've gone 15 months effectively without a paycheck. Yeah. We've, we're not going to go tap our friends on the shoulders for money anymore. I think we had raised hundred or $120,000 from ourselves and mm -hmm. friends and family. And we said, let's just start doing some consulting. And, and we told ourselves, but we're going to put all the money we make in, back into the company. And we, and we did for a few months, for yeah. sure. But at some point, you, you're, there's just so much revenue out there and there's so much opportunity and you see it. And in my mind, knowing what we had done at Amentra, I said, this is, this is crazy to keep trying to do this platform that we don't even know if we have a viable model on. Mm -hmm. And and Chris agreed, and he was starting to see that he actually liked doing the consulting work that we were doing at okay. first. He was it was a little questionable because he hadn't done that kind of consulting. Yeah. But um, as so so really, 
it, it just kind of happened that we, we woke up one day and we had seven or eight employees working for us. And we said, wow, we really like need to think about that. We want to keep going with reward summit or not. So when did you um, eventually actually close the door on reward summit? It happened. It, it happened. Um, technically we dissolved the company once the, the day that we converted Lata partners to level. Okay. So we, we ended up, um, that conversion happened in April of 2015. So okay. we ran the company in 2014, built See. it up to about 12 people. And then we decided to bring on a third partner who was the founder of Amentra, my okay. old boss and mentor, Matt yeah. Ernst. And Matt said, look, you've got a great team. You, you've got a great marketing message. I don't like your brand. Um, you know, I think you need to clean that up. I think, you, I think you need to do some investment in your marketing efforts and I'm going to help you with that. But I also think you need to recapitalize because you're going to need to move really fast because the winds are changing right now and you guys might be on in, in front of something very big here. Yeah. And, and, and it was at that point when, so, so we brought Matt on as an investor, as a partner. Um, we started the rebranding effort and the day we flipped the switch, we, we shut down, shut down the reward summit. Um, happy day or sad day to close the door on reward summit. It's sad. You know, we put a lot of work into it, but at the end of the day, I think anybody who starts anything knows that there's a chance for failure. And if you can't, I'm, I'm glad we were mature enough to not keep going at this thing for six years and then, and then not have anything to show for our effort. Yeah. Um, it's challenging. You're always balancing. I don't want to give up, but I also don't want to be too tied to an idea thing. You need to be able to fail. You need to be able to fail somewhat fast and, and, and be able to regroup. And so it was a lot of mixed emotions, I'd say, when we finally shut things down. But new chapter. New uh, chapter. So here we are with Level. You were two people in 2013. You're now how many people here in 2018? We are coming up on 170 globally now. So that's decent growth too. It's so decent. No, yeah, nobody's going to I had a lot less gray hair, I'll tell you that much, when we started. <laughs> I hear you. So uh, well, we won't talk about gray hair today. <laughs> um, so talk about the success story that is Level. I mean, how have you gone from two that didn't know they were going to do consulting to 170 in five years, yeah. kind of more or less four years too at the same time, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it's probably closer to four when yeah. you think about for how long it was just the two of us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and and so it, it started really with we just would hire, whenever we had work that we couldn't do ourselves, we would bring somebody in that we really wanted to work with. And we told them, we don't know where this is going but we just want to be around really good people. So were they employees or were you bringing people on initially as 1099 type folks? We had one 1099 that we used for one project who now is a full-time employee okay. and, and doing very well. Um, but in April or March of 2014, we, we brought on a guy who had done a lot of the rails development with us for the reward summit platform. Okay. Um, we told him, look, we're doing consulting. We'd love to bring you on. And he came on as the first, employee okay. of the company and everybody we brought on for the most part has been full-time employees since then occasionally you get people who they just want to be 1099 and they've got a niche skill set and yeah. they don't want to be part of the team but our preference is we want people who are part of a team teamwork is is one of our core fundamental principles that we share with everybody from the minute they interview to every quarter we do a, a business review meeting all hands on deck and we review our core values and we do, uh, we, we have an actual core value reward and the recipients get a $150 gift card and it's a way for us to reinforce 
one of the most important of those is being part of the team. And, and so it's hard to do that, to build that kind of culture that we want to build if you're doing that with 1099 employees. Again, it, there's times when, when things are dictated that you have to do it that way for business reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's, but we, we prefer full-time employees. What, um, so how do you, I mean, so from two to 170, we'll go back to it. Um, so I'll tell you each year how it built up. Yeah. That may give you some, some visibility. So 2013 end of year, two people. Yeah. 2014 end of year, 12 people for the holiday party. That's how I know yeah. <laughs> we're planning the holiday party. Fair enough. <laughs> um, 2015 end of year, 40 people. Okay. Um, 2016 end of year, 80 people. Okay. Um, 2017, call it 100. 2030. Okay. Um, and and then and we've just been on a hiring tear uh, since then. So you've hired 40 or 50 people in six since, weeks. Since basically October of last year when we were planning okay. the holiday party. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah. planning planning starts before the actual holiday. Party, <laughs> Absolutely. <I'm> thinking, yeah. <laughs> At this point, it's, it's a much bigger planning exercise. I think the first year that we did it, it was the 12 of us in uh, in, in a small restaurant off off of. Um, over in Elizabeth and, okay. and and this last time it was in the West End and it was, it was just, uh, it was pretty crazy, but it was, it was cool. Cause I, the week before that I was in Asia, I was in um, Australia for our Asia Pacific party. We've got a team of about 18 people over there now. Okay. And at the time there were, I think 14 or 15 people on the team. And so for me, it was great to see one party that reminded me of our first holiday party in the States and then to go to one that's just a completely different experience. Yeah, no, that's cool. So, um, talk about the first customers, mm-hmm. um, that really gave the, a, the money, the revenue, mm-hmm. but be the confidence that you were building something that could really go at a, at a really fast pace. Sure. So I, I'd say our first six or seven customers were brought to us by a partnership with a, with what's now Dell EMC, but they've okay. gone through some different iterations. It was called Pivotal at, at the time. And that was just a relationship that, that I had and they needed some real specific things for very big name Fortune 500 type of customers. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they would sell a product and the, and their client wouldn't know how to really adopt whatever the technology was. So we would, Chris or I would come in for a week or two at a time and just coach their team up, give them a reference architecture and then consult on an ongoing basis, reviewing their progress and seeing how, how things were working. Um, that was the first handful of, of clients that we got. And that was ideal for us at the time, because remember, the dream was still Reward Summit. So I could go work for a week or two, pay bills for a month, and then spend the rest of the time on Reward Summit. What happened was word started getting around that we were doing this just within the startup community. And a, a handful of early stage companies ended up reaching out to us and saying, hey, we saw what you did with Reward Summit. Can you come help us build this or build that? And so we started, um, not transitioning, but we started adding in addition to our EMC clients, we started having just earlier stage companies that we were helping with things. And then at one point there was a banking institution um, that's still a client to this day and we're under NDA, but they heard what we were doing and said, we're doing some really interesting stuff in the mobile payment space, and we know that you guys know a little bit about this. And and when they um, signed their first contract, it was a long-term contract. We needed clearly to hire a staff to be able to support it. And that was what really, when the light bulb came on, that, hey, this might be more than just a way to fund Reward Summit. This might really be what we ultimately want to do here. And then 
The second client came, it was a large insurance company that to this day is one of our biggest clients. And I remember going up to New York with Chris and by that point we had brought Sean on and I remember saying, we're never gonna get an MSA. We're a three person company. You don't get an MSA with the Fortune 100 insurance provider. Yep. And sure enough, a year later we got the, the MSA and started working with, with them. So some of these clients took a long time to build up, but thankfully we had the relationships with the software vendors. Yep where we could, we could do week and two week long projects. And then we had the startup community supporting us much lower rates than what we were getting from these, you know, these behemoth companies. Uh, but, but it was, that allowed us to really build up and collect MSAs with large companies. And now we probably have, I'd say 40 direct MSAs with fortune 500 companies. Okay. Um, and, and that's really where the growth comes for us. We've got clients now where we have 15, 20 people working on, long-term work. And that's where you start to see that real growth. Hey, if we're working for CNN, for instance, um, they're, they're thinking very long-term and signing long-term contracts. It's a lot easier to go hire a staff of 10 people to go support somebody like that than yeah. it was in the very early going. How, um, how do you prepare for that, right? And that's different. You know, you and Chris doing a consulting gig, mm -hmm. um, where you're working two weeks out of a month. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's, Fairly simple, sure. fairly simple, but now you got, you know, 170 people spread across two continents or three, three, three continents. Um, that's a different ball game than you and Chris going in different directions to work with two different sure. clients, right? Well, and you're hitting the nail on the head. It's no longer Chris and I, yeah. it's, you know, we're, we're part of a team that, that there's no way we could do what we're doing if, if, if it were just Chris and I, we've along the way. We've picked up probably 15 other folks who came from the Amentra experience. We've probably picked up eight or nine folks from Chris's background at Bank of America. Okay. And then we've, we've really been very um, methodical about the team that we've put together. Um, we would not have done what we're doing in Australia without the fact that we had a person who we trust very much, who I had sent to Australia back in the Red Hat days. Okay. He was ready to, to, to take on his next new big thing. And the reality is I do work with, I traded emails with him last night and this morning, so I am working with him, but I, there's no way we could do that without somebody who we had already been to war with and dodged bullets together with. So, and it's a similar story in New York and San Francisco, Dallas, Atlanta. We've got a, a person down there from, from my background who worked with us at a mentor and at Red Hat as well. And that's really how we've been able to manage the growth. We bring in consultants from time to time. Um, to help us look at things differently, whether they're operational consultants or change management or financial consultants. Mm -hmm. We don't think we know everything. In fact, we know we don't know a whole lot, but we, as long as we've got a good team around us and are open-minded to learning from people outside of our organization, I, I, I like our chances to continue on the growth path that we are. Yeah, no, it's funny. I was talking to my little sister the other day and I um, was teaching her a life lesson. I said, always, always always be the dumbest person in the room, right? Absolutely. Um, so no, you're exactly right. And, and to me, I, I, the way I've heard it framed is knowledge is important, but meta knowledge is even more important, knowing what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then figuring out how do I fill in these gaps? Because that's, that, that, that's, I think that's the part that so many companies, when they sputter out, especially in our space, we see them all the time. They get to 20, 30, 50, 100 people and they slow down. And it's because they, number one, they stop building the core team. Yep. Um, and it's hard. It's hard bringing on people from outside and saying these people know a little bit more and can help us out with something. And that creates friction. 
but I'm a big believer that you've got to continue to build the team and you've got to continue to look outside of your walls because you things change very quickly and no one person or one team is smart enough to be able to to adapt to those. I truly believe that. So good point. I want to circle back around to that. Um, but you've also been hitting on the pretty consistent theme and um, I sit here, you know, um, there's a few gray hairs across the table. There's a few gray, gray hairs on this side of the table as well. Sure. Um, so you're not a young entrepreneur, right? No. So you're not a 23-year-old fresh out of college with a uh, with an app idea. That's correct. Talk about the benefits of having, you know, corporate experience or other experience Sure. As the level has taken off over the course of the last three to five years. Sure. And, and, and that is a very key point. And that's one of the things that Chris, our CTO and co-founder, brings and, and, the, and the part of the teams that we've built that came from his background are how do we operate in a big corporate environment? How do we effectively convince somebody to do things that aren't very natural for them? And, and that is huge. And that can only come from experience. There's no, there's no 23 year old who's going to be ready to come in and say, okay, I understand, you know, GDPR, I understand HIPAA compliance. It's just not something that they're learning necessarily in, in schools. And, and it's a real skill to how do you present your ideas? How do you, you know, how, how do you convince others to get on board with things? And I think that's the value that the gray hairs in our company, um, bring to the table. Now, the flip side is we've got to be realistic that, you know, the older folks on the team, we've got to be realistic that we, the technology capabilities that are coming out of the younger generation right now are worlds ahead of anything that we had coming up because these are folks who have been immersed in technology and they just think very differently about how to solve problems. And so there's a balance that you have to strike both parts of the team add value and we've got to be able to convince everybody all around that, Hey, you're better off being part of, of this team because you can get more things done in these big environments. Great example. I like to give folks is most people have heard of Venmo, very popular way to yeah. move money around. Um, definitely more of a Silicon Valley technology, not necessarily developed by the banks. They came with a response called Zelle that you may have seen. It's been promoted very heavily and during the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, Zelle now is doing double the transactions of Venmo within six months of branding it as Zelle. And that's what we tell folks. Like, yes, we get that there's disruptive technology and many big companies will never figure out how to, how to stop that disruption. Yeah. But when big companies can figure out how to leverage their own advantage, they can turn on to a scale that's unimaginable and it can happen almost overnight. Yeah. And there's examples of that across industries, but that's a really... Relevant one that a lot of people have seen the Super Bowl commercials that, that Wells was running. God, I would have I would have imagined that thing would have petered out, but um, I guess your point is, is if they want to turn it on, they can turn it on, and yep. they've got it. a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yep. So you've raised money. We have. Um, talk a little bit about the decision to do that. Sure. Um, so I mentioned the first time we raised money, that was a very different decision. Yeah. I don't think we really needed cash from an operational perspective. You were just bringing on board. We wanted partner. to bring on board a partner yeah. who wanted to, to do some things to accelerate some things. Um, and there was a similar story. We raised another probably million dollar round about a year later okay. after that initial round. And again, we didn't really need the cash that time. Um, we, we were growing, but we were growing, but we knew that we wanted to get some, a couple of folks involved and pulled into into our orbit, and they weren't going to come work for us. Okay. But the best way to get somebody bought in is for, to have them put their own money. Up. Yeah. 
And so I'd call that the group that came in there is more of our advisory board. Okay. And once we had the cash, we figured out ways to use it and to accelerate growth. But we certainly didn't have a strategy that said, here's, here's money, here's money that we need, here's what we're going to do. During that period, the growth really started to pick up again. We're, we, took, we went from 40 to 80 people and we were seeing that we had overseas opportunities and that we were getting pulled into a lot of interesting things. And we asked ourselves, should we go raise more money? And that time we drew up a plan and said, okay, we're going to raise three and a half million dollars and this is how we're going to deploy it. And, and, uh, and, and, and frankly, we were, we look at things constantly that way. We decided this year, um, that we weren't right now going to do anything. We're just in too rapid of a state of change. And we're worried that you know, while we're this busy and trying to get things done, we, how do you even think about what amount of money you want to raise and what your valuation is? We want to give it a few more months take a pulse of where we are and say, are there further opportunities here to expand? We think there are. We also think that there's a lot of money out there. So the valuations tend to be favorable for the entrepreneurs right yep. now, frankly. Um, and, and we think that the space that we're in is, is attractive. Now, that being said, um, a services business, services business are not as attractive as product businesses. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so we're, we're fishing in a smaller pond there, but we do think that there may be some interest if we, if we can just improve our operations a little bit and continue to grow and continue to, to maintain profitability. You know, we, we think that there will be more options for us to do something even faster. So talk about raising three and a half million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been around the startup scene here mm-hmm. in Charlotte, um, probably for the last three, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And um, there wasn't an advertisement in the newspaper. <laughs> um, and it, um, at least in the circles that I run in, it, it didn't float out there. So where did you go for it? How did you decide to do it? So we we went we went to Richmond. Okay. Um, you know, Chris and myself and, and a handful of our key employees are the only Charlotte-based investors mm-hmm. in the company. Uh, we, we went to Richmond, and it goes back to um, the Amentra days, just folks from our Amentra network who happened to be up there. We, t- we raised some money from our most formidable competitor was a company named Ironworks, okay. and uh, their CEO and one of their founders is a guy named Will Loving, and we figured we could never beat him, so why not join him? Yeah. And it's funny because he had the same mentality. We, we both, when we met and started talking, he was like, yeah, every time we would go up against you guys in an RFP, we were like, oh, we better bring our A game. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, that's what we thought too. So so we, we, we were able to get him on board. And then there were a couple of other folks who knew Will and Matt because they were two successful exits out of um, – out of the Richmond area. Okay. Uh, Will and his partner, Scott, had sold Ironworks to ICW in a very successful exit in 2012. Uh, Matt had sold Amentra to Red Hat in a very successful exit in 2008. And so it, it doesn't, it's not hard. If you've got a lot of money and you know these two guys and you're in Richmond, it's, it's not a stretch to say, hey, I'm going to invest. These guys are involved in a company that does roughly what both of their companies did. Yeah. So it, that really smoothed the path. I don't think we would have been successful raising three and a half million dollars here in Charlotte. Um, and that's not an, uh, to me, that's not an indictment of Charlotte. That's an indictment of the network and where I've had success in, yep. in, in a prior life. The um, network effect, right? It's the network there. effect, exactly. Yeah. So um, that was in 2016 or 2017? 2000, at the very beginning of 2017, okay. we raised that three and a half million. Um, so you'll look, as you said, again sometime in the next six to 12 months, maybe. What we've talked about at the board level is to, to reevaluate in March and maybe 
we're, the thinking is maybe by June we're in a place where where we figure that out. We may also say let's just continue to grow and let's not pour any fuel on the fire. Yeah. A lot of it's going to come down to can we clean our operations up? As you can imagine, when you grow that fast, you pick up some bad habits along the way yeah. and some things break and everything that worked when we were 20 people broke when we were 60 and we're at a point for sure where, where things are breaking. Just the, your accounting system is no longer adequate. Your time and expense entry is no longer adequate. The way that you plan for staffing and rolling people off of projects onto others no longer works. Recruiting starts to fall behind. Um, all of these are things that over the past year we've run into and, and maybe maybe we say, you know what, let's just make 2018 be the year that, that we we do, you know, that we achieve the operational excellence, but we will because we're being, because we're having success and because we've seen some very smart private equity money go into companies like ours, we have to evaluate that. And so I think, I think June is the time frame where we're, if so, if we're going to do something this year, we would probably do something then. So talk about the one to five year, one to three, three to five, whatever, where does level end up in 2022, 2023? Uh, that's so hard to predict. I've given every time I've ever given a three to five year projection, I've been wrong. I would imagine so. You're 170 people. <laughs> yeah. A couple of years ago, you were two. I think I showed Matt a projection when we were bringing him on board that said we'd be at 15 million in revenue at this point, and we're at about double that right now. Okay. So, so I, I think that by 2022, we were a hundred million dollar a year company, maybe a hundred fifty million dollar a year company. Okay. Um, you, you figure that that's probably a company of three to four hundred people, depending on where they're located geographically. You know, there's some. We'll probably by then have a low cost delivery option for some of the work that we can't really sell today, but to sell some of the support work and some of the nitty gritty details that our clients need to do and that they want us to do. We may have some low cost delivery options, whether in Latin America, Eastern Europe or or in India. So I would imagine that, that, that we're selling, you know, that we're delivering um, in, in all of those geographies yeah. by then. Uh, we probably also have a bigger presence in, in Europe than we do right now. We've okay. kicked off a couple projects in Europe, but we don't have any employees there yet. Okay. And we are we are keen to do that. And we have folks from within our network who, who are over there. So I would suspect that by 2022, we're doing something in, in that area. Okay. And obviously, if we can get good terms on a big and convince a big financial partner to get on board with us, we could accelerate things. I think that to get to what I just laid out, we can do that mostly organically by maybe passing the hat around to our existing investors and maybe we pony up another five, six million dollars. But we're at a point now where we've got a very meaningful line of credit, which is great because now we don't have to look at all of our funding options as being equity. Yeah, that's nice. It's not a place where we were two years ago, let's yeah. put it that way. Certainly. That was very expensive and hard to come by back then. Yeah, well, the success allows that number to come down a little bit. Absolutely. It? So uh, that's cool. Now, I mean, it's been a great interview. As you know, I mentioned um, the story probably isn't as popular, well, mm -hmm. well known in Charlotte as it should be. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's slowly changing. Um, and maybe it'll quickly. Maybe it'll change as quickly as the business has over the course of the last couple. Well, years. and even selfishly, I'm glad to get the story out about Level. But I think there are probably ten or fifteen others that aren't out there. And I think when you look at changing the culture of a banking town into more of how do we create the next industries, 
you have to start lionizing the success stories and you have to start giving recognition, not to pump up the egos of the folks who did that, but for the people that are out there sitting in Duke Energy or sitting in Bank of America or sitting in Siemens or any of these world beating companies that have all of these brilliant, talented people who, who could get out there and do something, but they don't have the role models to do it. So I hope you're able to highlight as many of these as possible because that's, that's I think that's the step that's kind of missing right now. Yep. It's starting to change. You see Avid Exchange being celebrated. You see Passport being, accept, being celebrated. Uh, but, but we'd certainly need more of that because there are more success stories in Charlotte than what, what most people are talking about. Oh, yeah, no, and certainly, you know, it's a great lead-in. One of the things we want, we'll talk about in part two or here in a few minutes is uh, just the whole entrepreneur network here mm -hmm. in Charlotte and maybe the lack of the funding network that exists sure. here in Charlotte. Um, but to hear the level story has been a lot of fun. So thanks for sitting down for the first 30 minutes. Thank you for letting me tell it. Yeah. I appreciate it, William. So we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Again, a great little podcast today with John Espy, CEO and co-founder of Level, um, a technology and consulting company here in Charlotte. Um, I think if you listen to it and you you listen to John, you'll agree the story of Level will in some way, shape or form become part of the future um, and the story of Charlotte and Charlotte's economy over the course of the next 5, 10, 15 years and beyond. Next week, um, I wanted to pivot our conversation and just talk a little bit about publicly, you know, a continuation of John, John and I's debate over lunch as to what's most important, more entrepreneurs or more, more early stage capital. Um, as we dig into that, we almost immediately jump into just the entrepreneur system's growth in general over um, in Charlotte over the course of the last, you know, three, four, five, six years. So, and then we obviously will circle back around and we'll come back into the conversation of what's the most important aspect to make this ecosystem grow. So certainly hope if you enjoyed today's podcast with John, I certainly hope that you'll tune in next week for the second part of our podcast with John Espy. So thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Charlotte Angel Connection. William Bissett is an investment advisor representative with Seacrest Blakey & Associates, a registered investment advisor. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Seacrest Blakey & Associates. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Seacrest Blakey & Associates does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interests may be offered only to persons who qualify as accredited investors under the Securities Act and a qualified purchaser as defined in Section 2A, Paragraph 51, Line A, under the Company Act or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interests. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.